just a hair past 7 o'clock, and it seems like every week the shows get bigger and bigger. It's time for Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Hey, right next to me um, is Ira. Let's talk to him uh, in just one second. Ira, um, you know, we mentioned earlier that last week was exciting, and I get really excited when Sunday night football comes around. Do you feel a little void this week with no Monday night football or Thursday night? I'm sad it, it's ending. Like I am, I'm concerned that it's that it's ending right now, and uh, I I'm just pumped. I mean, I watch football all weekend. I was ready to go, and it's just uh, it's just sad that I feel like the Steelers season is finished. I have to wait till <laughs> September. Penn State season is over, and now we're into. But look, we're into the playoffs. We have a great championship game coming to look forward to. So I'm excited about that. You. You're still a fan. You you still went decked out in the Steelers gear, so I'll, I'll give you credit for that. Um, big show on tap tonight. We couldn't get in touch with him. I think it was two weeks ago. His name is Jesse Doggerty. He's a writer for the Washington Post. He's the Nationals beat writer. He's going to be great. He's here at 730. Yeah, great. We're It's, uh, again, just... The Nationals' run to the World Championships is the story of the year. The fact that they were able to come, the Dodgers and the Astros, and came out of nowhere. They were 19 and 31, and it was just it'll be great to have him here. And again, people started excited for baseball, which is coming back to spring training in a, in, a, in February. So, Ira, we've been doing this show two years or so, and this is probably the quietest week you've ever had. And I know some of your friends were giving you a hard time about this. Yeah, didn't go anywhere this week. I was still recovering from my illness, but I'll be making up for it. In the next coming weeks. <laughs> All right, let, let's get right into it. Um, it, it. It was a tale of two championship games to me. One, I was glued to the TV, and the other one, I was kind of just never got into the game because got out of hand early. Um, LSU and Oklahoma, let's talk about it. I was impressed, though. As much as you say you're not glued, now the second half I can understand not being glued, but the first half was, that was Michelangelo. That was just a masterpiece of a team. Um, and coming into this, and we kept talking about who's going to be that fourth team in the playoff, and Oklahoma got in, and, and, and they did not produce at all. And it just leads you to believe that maybe an Alabama – Deserved it. If that Alabama doesn't lose to Auburn, that maybe a team Oklahoma was not ready to play in that game. No. There was no way they could play that game thirty times. They were going to lose thirty times. They were just not prepared, and that's why that number we saw how the games played out. LSU getting that one seed really helped them over Ohio State and Clemson, who had to play two or three. That complete war where everybody was hurt. LSU had almost like it was almost a bye game. You know this. I said it on this show about three weeks ago that. The more I've seen these seasons, the, the less and less I think I need to expand the playoff. I was always the guy, let's go 10-team playoff. Let's go 12-team. Now seeing this, what would happen if, let's say, a number 8 Baylor team had played LSU? It would have been even worse than this. So looking at the discrepancy between Team 1 and 4, I think 4 teams is good for now. Well, I, I said the same thing. <laughs> I've always been pushing for more and more and more. And but clearly this year there was three teams, and that was all the words. I mean, and I want to tell you something. As someone who's someone who's a Penn State fan and who watches college football all the time, and have friends that are Michigan fans, the gap between Penn State and these three teams is enormous. Yeah. Like it's just enormous. Like Penn State could never play on L. If it, Penn State's a top ten ranked team in the country, they're this, they're great, they're fantastic. But I mean, they cannot play position to position with this intensity. These are NFL football players playing hard with great schemes and and that's not to criticize Penn State but this is the Oregon this is the, all these other teams out there these teams these three teams are far superior I just can't imagine Penn State even being on the field with these teams no it, you know it's funny and, and we've especially being in Florida we've wanted to campaign for UCF all these years when UCF would be ranked seventh eighth now you look at it and it's like you said there's maybe two NFL players on a team like UCF where you're looking at a dozen players on these teams and and yeah just the discrepancy between 1 and 4 this year i think i've There'd be years where it would have been closer, and like you said, I think an Alabama would have done better. But looking at this, uh, I'm pretty much set. So let's talk about this game. Well, you know, oh, Oklahoma went three and out that first time they had the ball, and then it was just burrow to chase. It, the one thing is, I talked about last week's show. LSU scores fast; they score quick. They and they're just smart. I mean, Joe Burrow just goes to that line. He knows where to throw. They 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 do a hurry up offense, and his pass to Jamar Chase was tremendous. And then I, I was then when when Hurts through to CeeDee Lamb, and then Kenny Brooks ran for a touchdown to make it 7-7. You're like, okay, it's going to be a track meet. LSU's defense looks poor. They're going to let this up because I said that was one of the criticism I had of LSU is their defense. And what I think hurts can hurt them against Clemson.
Clemson is their defense just gives up big passes, big plays. But then Burrow to Marshall for a touchdown, 14-7. And then Clay Edwards-Hilaire, the question was for the LSU, was, was he going to be healthy? Was he not healthy? Well, he was healthy enough to look great out there, <laughs> and then he took a rest. I mean, that was the key for LSU. They got out. They played a half a game and got out. They didn't get hurt or anything like that. And then uh, Oklahoma threw deep on a third down, and they, they missed a, a clear pass interference by Stingley of LSU. And, I mean, I think Oklahoma needed every single break. And when they didn't get that break, then they, they were sort of depressed about it. Joe Burrow drives down again. Throws to Terrence Marshall, another touchdown. Uh, Burrow to Jefferson, 40-yard 40, 40 touchdown, 21-7. In the first quarter, LSU had 221 yards in a quarter. In a quarter. <laughs> I know. And this is a team that Oklahoma was averaging on defense like 300 yards. They scored all in three, 221 quarters. And uh, then even on LSU, on this next possession, they had his third and 10 in Burrow. He shows he can run. He can pass. He does everything. And then Oklahoma doesn't help that they lose their star player on defense, Brendan Radles, Hiles, on targeting for Clyde Edwards. Hilaire, everyone has three names there, but but uh, and Burrow runs for another first down, and then another touchdown to Jefferson, made it twenty-eight to seven. And you're like thinking, at one point, does LSU just is it? Do they get like back into the game? But let Oklahoma come back a little. They just kept the pedal to the metal that entire first half. Um, Oklahoma ran a flea flicker that was intercepted. Burrow threw to Jefferson, another touchdown, thirty-five-seven, and then uh, and then Burrow to Moss, a sixty-two-yard touchdown, made it forty-two fourteen. And then with a minute to go in the first half, Burrow threw to Marshall again, made it. 49 to 14. They scored seven touchdowns. They punted the ball one time. Uh, they Burrow was 21 for 27, 400 yards, seven touchdowns. Uh, Jefferson, nine receptions, 186 yards, four touchdowns in the first half. First half. <laughs> I mean, Jalen Hurts was a mess. Five for 18, 101 yards, an interception. It was 500 yards to 150 yards. Uh, it was just a complete and utter uh, disaster, and the game was over at halftime. And then it was it. I was impressed that LSU came out the second half and just totally destroyed him in the second half, too. Didn't let Oklahoma even think they could get back in the game and had sort of a backdoor cover and a win by uh, 49 points. I was surprised in that, too, that they, that they didn't take their foot off the gas. Has this risen Joe Burrow's draft stock at all? I mean, obviously he's going to go number one, but I mean, like mentally... Do you still think the same of Joe Burrow, or has he been elevated even higher in your mind? I think Joe Burrow looks like a guy. He's ready to play in the NFL right now. I mean, you spend the whole day Sunday watching quarterbacks, and you're like, he should be playing. Like, he's got to be out there. His arm strength, there's no questions about anything. I and mean, he is he has great wide receivers, but he if something gets open, he completes the passes. He can run with the ball. He moves around the pocket. He has everything. I mean, he's like one of those guys that can just stand back there and run around. He's Patrick Mahomes. He's I think he's perfect. He's perfect for the NFL in today. And I just cannot wait for this championship game because it's going to be tremendous. But but he has played great the whole year. And then you had the whole story with LSU, which was terrible that their assistant coach's daughter-in-law died in the plane awful. crash. Yeah. An awful story with that. But the team sort of, you could just see the team and the passion for LSU. I mean, this team at Oregonian has done a tremendous job. Uh, I think two, three years ago, LSU, we think of LSU, zero points, three points, six points. This team had no offense. And now to go from, to have one of the greatest offenses we've ever seen in football, to go from no offense to that, it's a credit to Ed Oregonian. He's from LSU. This is his dream job. He finally, he never get it the first time. Then he was able to get this job. He didn't get the USC job. He finally got this LSU job. And uh, this is just a, a great win for LSU, and it's, it sets them up for the championship game. You know, that's a great point, Ira, because this has always been, they always come to play defense. But then they've got se seasons with Leonard Fournette, uh, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, and they're, they're scoring 13 points a game. It's totally different, that whole culture there. Uh, congratulations to uh, LSU romping Oklahoma on Saturday. Um, Clemson and Ohio State, this game had it all for me, and I loved it. Yeah, it was probably one of the best football games I've ever seen. The fact that both teams were super-duper talented at every position, and they also played hard, and they played smart. I mean, have you ever seen a game where players got hurt like three times? Justin Ross for Clemson was getting hurt every play, it seemed like, but coming back in the game. Uh, T. Higgins for Clemson got knocked out of the game. You're like, he's done for the game. He's back. J.K. Dobbins, the running back for Ohio State, is like they're taping. He looked like he had tape, 100 pieces of tape on his foot <laughs> coming back in the game. I mean, they that play Trevor Lawrence gets uh, the targeting play where he gets knocked down and Chase Young then breaks him over I can see how many NFL quarterbacks who got hit that hard they just say okay game's over I'm on the sideline he's he's bleeding out of his mouth because stays in the game I mean again he missed he missed one one play and then came back in the mm -hmm. game it was just they hit hard they played hard they played well tremendous one of the best football games for Clemson to hold out 29-23 
just it shows I look I've always believed in Clemson I think they're great this is the best Ohio State played all year like I've watched Ohio State play every one of their games that's at the level that these two teams played I'm like that's what I said I don't see other teams even on the field no. they would have been blo- besides LSU and Alabama I don't know anybody who could have been on that field with those two teams it- I will give you credit. You've been touting Clemson since before the season ended that this is going to be Clemson going all the way. We'll get your pick on that in just a little bit, but let's talk about uh, what else happened here. Well, Ohio State, that first drive, Justin Fields came out. There was an issue with him, the quarterback for Ohio State. Uh, The fact that he and Trevor Lawrence grew up in Georgia only a few miles from each other. They never played each other in high school, but they knew each other. They were friends. Mm -hmm. So they were well aware. But it was interesting that you factored those two great quarterbacks. But Fields, who had a hurt ankle, comes out there, and that first drive, five different receivers, he, he, he was able to get it to to get down to the first and five and this was what the problem this is what if you're an Ohio State fan you are saying we had the chance to knock Clemson out it's mm-hmm. like when you have the champ and the champ's on the ro- ropes and it's the first and second round you gotta knock them out and they only got a field goal it's first and goal at five and, and Clemson was able to hold Ohio State to a field goal Clemson then goes down and they miss a field goal I mean and, and also T. Higgins their star NFL wide receiver, he mm-hmm. got hurt. So now you're like concerned. Then what does Ohio State come back? J.K. Dobbins, that 68 yard run right through Clemson. I mean, he just ran right yeah. through Clemson. <laughs> he broke tackles, then ran fast. They're up 10 nothing, and then Clemson goes three nine again. So Clemson is totally discombobulated. Ohio State is rolling. Ohio State goes, they go down to the score, but they, again, they, you know, they they were forced to punt. But then uh, Clemson goes and has to punt again. But what happens? Dobbins another 50 yard run. So they're up 10 nothing. They're down to the five yard line. Ready to go up 17 nothing, and uh, but they throw to the, the, the Dobbins and he drops the ball. Like mm-hmm. the rule in the college was right, you have to come down with the ball. Not that was a catch in the NFL, but not in college. Yeah. Dobbins doesn't catch that. They kick another field goal. It's 13 nothing. So this could have been like 21 nothing. Instead, it's 13 nothing. That is huge in a game. Massive in a game. Yes, go because ahead. Clemson still on offense is a mess. I mean, Clemson went three and out again. Ohio State's driving down again. And this is where the whole game changes. Fields to Austin Mack, race pass over star A.J. Terrell. And then it was third and nine. There was this blitz. Justin Fields was escaping everything. And then with nine minutes to go in the first half, Ohio State had 280 yards against a defense that the most they've all year, it has been 240 yards. and they had, <laughs> So they were killing him. And, and, the, and I, the announcers were saying correctly, Ryan Day was totally outcroaching Brett Venables and Dabo Sweeney. Clemson did not. They were so confused. I mean, Ryan Day was just, it was just a masterpiece of coaching. Uh, but then they, again, Ohio State drives down there and they had another chance for a, a, a touchdown, but they get another field goal. So instead of, again, being 28 nothing, it's now 16 nothing, 286 yards to 86 yards, score should have been 28 nothing. But the key to that whole thing, it's 16 nothing, four minutes to go in the first half. This game looked like it could have been the LSU game almost. But then Wade for Ohio State, one of their star defensive backs, rushes in there and, and, and calls for targeting on Lawrence. And th- everybody has been from Ohio State is complaining that wasn't a targeting, it wasn't whatever. But I've seen enough college football, it was targeting. I mean, you as much as you say Lawrence dipped his head, you can't come in there with your head and you can't knock it out. And then Chase Young sacks Lawrence. So Lawrence is now broken up. His, he's over with his back. He's lying on the ground. You think he might be out of the game. And, mm-hmm. and Lawrence just made a comment. He goes, they thought they knocked me out of the game. And he is so tough for him to come back after that was tremendous. But that was, that was if, if there was no targeting on that, Ohio State gets the ball, maybe goes, scores again, makes it 23-0. This game's over. But uh, but it just totally motivated uh, Clemson, that hit. Etienne ran for, in for a touchdown, tremendous run, made it 16-7. Ohio State goes three and out. And then Lawrence has a 67-yard run, makes it 16-14 at halftime. So suddenly this game, we have a tremendous game. Lawrence was just tremendous there at the end and be able to, to hang in that game and, and turned it around. If that hit, that targeting call turned the entire game. It's 717. It's Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Along as well, uh, don't don't go away because it's 730. Jesse Dougherty, writer for the Washington Post, Nationals beat writer. He's going to join us right here on Ira on Sports. So what's the second half like? Well, I think one of the key things for Clemson is T. Higgins came in the back in the game. So again, I thought he was out. He was knocked out of the game on that first play of the game almost. And he comes back in for Clemson. And I think that was crucial for him to be in that game. But... Uh, but then they screwed, they threw a screen pass to NTN. So Clemson now goes up 21-16. So they took a 16-0 deficit and made it 21 nothing. But uh, uh, but then the key play of the game was Clemson has the ball and they threw it to Justin Ross. 
did he fumble the ball? They ruled it on the field a fumble. Well, they didn't rule the field. They ruled it not a fumble, and they oh, actually they ruled the field a fumble, and then he ran in for a touchdown. Ohio State takes the lead. But it was interesting that the rules official on the television broadcast said, I felt it was, it was not a fumble, that he didn't really make a, a football move. And that was another key. So as much as Ohio State's yelling and screaming, that play, I think, could have gone either way. It seemed like Ross was running with the ball, and that would have given Ohio State the lead, but they ruled it wasn't a touchdown, but they punted. But then when Ohio State got the ball back again, um, Fields was intercepted by Isaiah Simmons, who is going to be like the third or fourth player. You saw how fast he was. Mm -hmm. He's a linebacker. He's intercepting balls for Clemson, number 11. And you'll see him in the championship game. What a player. What a play. I'm looking that, at him for the Giants already. Oh, my gosh. That was amazing. <laughs> and then, But, you know, you got to give Ohio State credit. They stay hung in there. On fourth and two, they drove down there, and they went for it on fourth and two, and Fields threw it to Olave for a touchdown to take that lead, 23-21. And uh, but, the, but the key thing, was that Ohio State, when they had the ball back again with a chance to keep expanding the lead, they uh, Isaiah Simmons made that tackle on Fields where he just like tripped him up and they forced uh, Ohio State to punt the ball with, uh, there was like two minutes and 55 seconds to go. Clemson gets it on the six. They're down two. And then Trevor Lawrence showed you why he's going to be one of, I think, an all-time great quarterback. Four plays, he throws it to Ross, he ran for a first down, through to Rodgers, and then he threw this jump past NTN for a touchdown. 27-23, they get the two-point conversion. For him just to come down there like that, I mean, he is, Trevor Lawrence is tough, he runs fast, he has the strongest arm I've seen since Elway, and just to lead them on that drive, and he's, and he's the heart, the heart to stay in that game. That's, mm -hmm. We all want all our quarterbacks to have that type of heart and uh, to take the lead. And then Ohio State, boy, I mean, they came down in fields. I thought they, they gave him too much time. They had a minute and 18 seconds to go, and Fields was, uh, was have, had a drive down there, but then they, he finally threw an interception yeah. at the, the, the play where in, in the same play they scored a touchdown on, he threw it to Olave. Olave cut the wrong way, and Turner intercepted the ball. Huge win. I mean, that was. I mean, Fields had one interception for Ohio State. One interception all year. He threw two uh, on uh, uh, the other night. They had open receivers too, and he was trying to chance it a little bit there. Um, this is why I asked you about Joe Burrow just a minute ago. Trevor Lawrence obviously not coming out this year. If Trevor Lawrence was in this draft, who are you taking? Trevor Lawrence. I, I'm yeah. telling you, he's phenomenal. They're both phenomenal. And you love They're, Joe Burrow. I love Joe Burrow. I think Trevor Lawrence, watch that game. I've been saying him. He is tough, and they, the passion, the long hair, it's everything about that. <laughs> and it's just his arm strength and his ability to read defenses, his ability to shake off. They're both, both Burrow and Lawrence are very similar. I just think Lawrence is just a bit, a bit better. I, both could be Hall of Fame quarterbacks, though. We Bur haven't seen players like this. Burrow's also 23. What's yes. Trevor Lawrence, 20? You know, he's, he's got a lot more time to develop. Who knows what he'll be looking like in uh, three years from now. Um, you want to go into Memphis, Penn State? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the other games, I mean, there's other bowl games, and, and the fact is is that uh, it, it's – I think it was a good, it was a trend a couple years ago where all the star players weren't playing in these games. I was getting concerned with Christian mm -hmm. McCafferty, but I noticed that all the Penn State players like uh, Mattis, uh, Yuter Mattis, uh, uh, he played. Um, there was uh, the other players uh, uh, that were, KJ Hamler for, the, for Penn State who's going to be drafted, he played. So the stars for the teams were playing, and I thought that was good. Uh, Penn State didn't look that good. It was a cotton bowl against Memphis. Memphis played really well. Those uniforms were awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the uniforms were awesome. But Penn State was able. Journey Brown ran well. And uh, they were. And that was one of the key things that finally Penn State, I mean, he, he had a great game. He had 16 carries for 202 yards, two touchdowns. It's, it's neat in these bowl games to see the players. It's almost like one of these games where you're looking at it, how this is going to be for next year. And I don't think Clifford, again, Sean Clifford for Penn State, didn't play well at quarterback. The running game was going. Uh, and there defense looked Penn State's defense looked terrible uh, but the, it would look it's hard to win these uh, these games like this and against a team that they were and I'm glad Penn State was somehow figuring a way to, to come up and win I mean they scored 53 points which is uh, tremendous but giving up 39 to Memphis when Memphis is coached the other issue is should a coach my mom made a big deal about this it's like the Memphis's <laughs> coach uh, went to Florida State so mm -hmm. the point is should the coaches stay with the team or they go Penn State lost their offensive coordinator to go to Old Dominion so their new offensive coordinator from Minnesota was there so you have different coordinators and how you're doing it so it was interesting to see that how the coaches stay but the players from most of the most of the star players played in these bowls so far played in the bowl games you know I can't blame the coaches though 
I would want to stay with my team, but when you get that opportunity, you kind of got to take it. And it, it was out there, and you know, it's it, it is definitely a disadvantage that they have a you know a head coach who's never their head coach before in a bowl game. But it's kind of this the business. Well, Memphis was lucky because they promoted their assistant. The assistant was promoted to the head coach, so they kept their transition. It's hard though because the new the way recruiting is set up today, you have to the commitment. So if a coach has been announced, he has to start, or he's going to have no recruiting class for the first year. Yeah. So that's the other problem is that the signing day has been moved up in football. It used to be in February. Now it's all moved up to December and everyone's signing then and they really need to be in place to try to get the recruits. That makes sense. Um, I, re- I feel like I've been asking this question to you every week and it's if you're a Miami fan, is it time to be worried about what's going on with that program? They lost some bad games down the stretch and then they lose a game that was just awful. Well, I was watching the 30 for 30. I watched a lot of 30 30 when I was sick. It was, they're awesome. The 84 draft might have been the best 30 30 I've ever seen about the Marino and Elway, which mm-hmm. we can talk about, which I love to talk It's just an amazing draft where they had Marvin Denoff, the owner, the, the agent for both players, and how Elway picked where he was going to go and how Marino was, fell to the end of the draft. But then they had the one on the, the U, the Miami. And you don't realize, even being here in Florida, how great this team was. I mean, they were Alabama, Clemson, LSU, all rolled into one. They had all the great players, all playing on the same team. They won four titles in eight years and probably could have gone six or seven for eight. And then they came back and had a gap and they won almost two more titles. They won one with Larry Coker. But for a period of 10 years, they were the team in football. And there was no number two. They were number one. And to think where this program has fallen, it's just unbelievable. They lose, they lost to Louisiana Tech 14 to nothing. 14 to <laughs> not nothing. Good. They have not won a bowl game, won one bowl game since 2007. This is the first group of five, which is the non power, to beat a power five shutout ever in a bowl game. Ever in a bowl game. It was just a complete disaster. This team, Miami, is had a horrendous year. They fell to six and seven. And to lose in a game like this to Louisiana Tech in the Independence Bowl, it's like they the gap. I mean, they think they're gonna be they are so they're they're horrendous. And it's one of the things that Clemson, Clemson almost needs some of these ACC teams to start playing. They need Miami and Florida yeah. State. Otherwise, people are gonna say, because Clemson's no resume. <laughs> Clemson is now is this elite team, and these other teams are not providing the Miamis and Florida States are, are no competition. They're losing to Louisiana Tech 14-0. Absolutely crazy. Going back to what you said before, you know, we talk about Clemson's and and Ohio State's and, you know, they've got seven, eight, 12 NFL players. The Miami team had seven, eight, 12 Hall of Famers. I mean, it was just ridiculous. But, you know, after every loss, Miami radio is like Manny Diaz, still our man. Got to give him more time. Manny Diaz, still our guy. Now, I I don't know. Like, I'd, I'd be a little bit worried if I was a U fan. You have to be concerned as a U fan that you can't even scheme a game to win. That's the other thing. You're not motiv- his, his skill was motivation. Well, motivation didn't work. They were upset by everybody this year. They had, the, as we talked about before, how they had the more double digit whether their favorites to lose these games. They couldn't even get up for this bowl game and score zero points. You really have to question. I mean, now he's supposedly bringing his own, but he was there. So these players were his yeah. players already, or so, some of them were his players in terms of what he recruited on defense. Um, so, no, this is. Uh, I, look, I think he has one more year. Like, if it's another year like this, there's no way any coach. No. There's no coach. Uh, Dabo Sweeney wouldn't survive two years of this. <laughs> Ira, you are one of the uh, toughest fans in all of sports, and you might be headed down to see Florida and Virginia well, right after the show. The, it starts at 8.30. I missed the first the first quarter, but I just saw no game. So I want to see Florida-Virginia tonight. Florida's favored by 14.5. Tomorrow, Florida State plays Arizona State. They don't want to have the same fate that uh, Miami did with a disaster. New Year's Day, there's going to be some interesting games. The Auburn is favored by seven over Minnesota. I, I like both teams. Both teams had a fairly good season. Yep. Alabama by seven over Michigan. What an exciting game that's going to be. I, I'm pumped for that Alabama-Michigan game. Big Ten SEC. And then Wisconsin-Oregon as the Rose Bowl. Wisconsin favored by three. And Georgia is minus five over Baylor. So when the when the bowl schedule came out, I was like, mm, not that excited. But now the more I'm thinking about these games, I'm trying to say, oh my God, there's just so few left. I'm going to enjoy them. But I sort of like that New Year's Day slate. No, I, I'm excited about it as well. Just about uh, two or three minutes away from getting Jesse Dougherty on from the Washington Post. Um, let's just... Do we know the line yet for Clemson and LSU? Six. Six points. I, 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 don't, I think it should be a little closer than that, maybe. But well, how are you leaning on this one? I think Clemson's going to win. I think Clemson. I think this was like a wake-up call for Clemson that first half. I think Clemson is—I am concerned on Clemson's defense. They 
some at some positions they weren't fast enough, and I think that they're going to have trouble covering some of LSU's wide receivers. But I think this is going to be a shootout, and I'm going to put my money on Trevor Lawrence over. But wow, I mean, it's going to be in the Superdome. They're going to have all the LSU fans. It's going to be a crazy ticket. It's going to be a crazy, wild, crazy game. And and the score, like I got, I think it's going to be like 45, 40. One of those whoever has the ball at the end of the game, who's going to score at the end. Uh, I like LSU's kickers. I mean, just small little things in this game. But uh, I think LSU needed that. This was sort of the wake-up call. They had an easy season. They didn't have any competition besides the North Carolina game. This was their wake-up call. Uh, I think they're going to be ready for this one. So, Ira, they call it um, Black Monday. Let's get into the NFL. I don't think that, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers fans or Patriots fans realize how nice it is to not have to stress about this every year, whether it's stressing in a good way or a bad way. Now, as a Giants fan, I was happy to see Shermer go, but now it's the stress of who's our next coach. And, you know, the Steelers have had two coaches my entire life, three for yours. This is just something that never bothers you, but two-thirds of the teams in the league, this is like a, a cyclical yearly thing. But not so much this year. I mean, the Browns fired Freddie Kitchen, Giants fired Fritz Shermer, and the Redskins and Panthers had already fired their coaches. Yeah. And now the question with the Cowboys. So it's like last year, there was so much turnover last year that the people are giving their teams, except for Freddie Kitchens, you usually get at least give your coach another more than one year. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. Now you have all the college coaches. Could Urban Meyer get involved in this? We had uh, uh, Matt Rule from Baylor. Is I'm telling you, Supposedly I think, hot to the I think he's going to go to the Giants. He's been at the Giants. I, I think from I think he wants... I think he's a he's a coach that he's in a situation like Baylor that is not that perfect coach college coaching situation. I think he would. I think Matt Rule was perfect for the Giants and in going into that situation. When you're talking about these other coaches, the Lincoln Rileys, the Dabo Sweeney's, Nick Saban's, these guys are making nine, ten million dollars a year. They're going to make and they it full for the, autonomy for the rest of their life. Full autonomy. They're going to win all their games they play. They schedule of their twelve teams they play, nine or ten of them are, are ones they're going to destroy. I don't see any of these major coaches now. Urban Meyer, yes, because he's not coaching anywhere, and this is something different for him to go to, whether he goes to the Cowboys or not, if that position hasn't opened up yet. But I think that's what, I think the question is, is for some of these college coaches, I don't see them leaving. Well, yeah, no, I agree with you on Dabo and, and on Nick Saban. Lincoln Riley, I think, might be able to be persuaded away. I don't know if I want Matt Rule for, for the Giants. I think it's time to go to the established guy. I would have liked Ron Rivera. But now it might be time to go knocking on Mike McCarthy's door. I, I don't know. Well, Ron Rivera was the coach of Carolina yeah. who, who uh, was fired in the middle of the year. And Mike McCarthy was the coach of Green Bay. And it's so funny. When these coaches are these teams, they, at the end of it, everybody can't wait for them to get fired. And now everybody can't wait for these coaches to get hired in these different places. So McCarthy and Rivera are the two names. Rivera to, to Washington. McCarthy could go anywhere almost back in, back in the business. And, and it's, it's interesting that we're not talking about the Bill Cowers and the Jimmy Johnsons and, and all these other other ex-coaches that have been coached in 10 years. So it, it is interesting to see what happens. But you can see these teams that are, a lot of these teams that had bad years are keeping their coaches because they only hired them last year. So they want to see yeah. how they, and then a coach like Brian Flores, who they had, uh, they had won six games, or five games this he year. He deserves coach of the year votes. Right, though. but he's <laughs> yeah. staying on. Of course he's staying on. So you have a lot of these teams that do they feel like they're building up to what they want. I would have been not necessarily like ready to kick Gase out the door if I was the Jets, but I wouldn't have been really happy retaining him. Um, let's get into it, though. We do have our, our guest. It's Jesse Doggerty. He's an author. He's a writer for the Washington Post, Nationals beat writer. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. It's Doggerty underscore Jesse. Jesse, thank you much, uh, so much for joining us here on Iron Sports. Jesse, you there? Yep, you got me? Yeah, I got you now. So... Yep. Got to be a pretty fun time to be living in Washington, D.C. I mean, you guys have been turning out some championships lately, uh, with, with the exception of, of basketball and obviously the Redskins who we were talking about earlier, but exciting time to be there. For sure, man. And just, you know, from our perspective, being in the newspaper, I get to cover this town. It's been really fun. I mean, you, you think back to 2018, the Caps won the Stanley Cup, and then, you know, since then, the Washington Mystics won the WNBA championship, the Nationals won the World Series. So a lot of good stuff going on. It's um, you know they have three championships in in such a short period of time. When for a while there, their Washington team couldn't make it past the first round of the playoffs. It's just kind of a stark difference in luck and and fortune. And I think uh, you know as journalists, writers, we uh, we're certainly having a great time providing providing the coverage of it. Ira, what do you have for Jesse? Jesse, in 2012, 14, 16, and 17, the Nats make the playoffs but don't advance. Then suddenly in 18, they lose. Well, not suddenly because it was coming on there. They lose your star, superstar player, Bryce Harper. And everyone's like, rebuild mode, rebuild mode. And it's amazing how losing to Harper 
they were still able to come back and win this World Series, losing their, their transcendent team uh, superstar player. Yeah, it's interesting. I will push back. Nothing, nothing happens suddenly in baseball, the one sport. Um, it's just not possible. <laughs> it's, everything's very slow. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've gotten a question a lot. I mean, how does the Bryce factor, the Bryce situation factor in the National League in the World Series? Um, I think there's a few ways. One, uh, addition, addition by subtraction in a sense, um, not necessarily because losing Bryce is a good thing. You're taking a guy out of the lineup who's a 35 home run guy, 110 RBIs, a transcendent power hitter, um, walks you know, as much as anybody in the league. That's, you want those things in your order. But by not bringing back Bryce, it allowed you to sign Patrick Corbin. It allowed you to sign a, a second baseman, a fourth starter for $19 million over two years. The allocation of resources that they gained and were able to spread elsewhere was a really huge factor in the way this roster was constructed. And I really think of a World Series run as a Jenga tower in a sense. Like, if every single piece is not in place, I don't think you win. And <laughs> a Jenga tower in a sense, because if one block comes out, the whole thing falls down. And does, and does that mean just Bryce Harper? No, it also means Brian Dozier. It also means Daniel Hudson, Javi Guerra, Fernando Rodney. Um, you may, it may seem silly to point out these guys who weren't the superstars, weren't the big names, but... All those things have a factor into to what do I think you win the World Series, not just the guys at the top. I think everything has to fall in place at the right time. So on May 24th, the Nationals are 19-31. and 31. The odds of winning the World Series were, whatever the people say, 1.5%. They had just been swept by the Mets. So everything is falling apart. They're an oldest team. Everybody said they're going to trade all the players. They're going to trade Strasburg. They're going to trade Rendon. And they make a trade for Gerardo, Gerardo Parra, it's baby shark, on the May 11th. And somehow that team at that level, at 1931, they were able, in, in your book, Fight to the Finish, you, you really talk about that time when it was when Martinez stayed positive and everything about how that team, at the lowest of the low, was still positive and, and felt like they could at least come back in the season somehow. Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with belief, right? Like, if you if you just want to come to the park every day and lose and, and think that you're done, like, yeah, you're probably going to lose. And I think there's a measure of, you know, the, it starts with just kind of thinking it can happen. And I, th I think the Nats would always joke and say, I mean, they were lucky after that series. They were getting the Marlins, which obviously were sort of a one of the worst teams in baseball. And uh, and they came up and win three or four, and then they sweep the Braves, and then they win two or three in Cincinnati. And then you kind of you kind of gain some traction, and you slowly start to move forward. And I think um, – it's, it's one block at a time in baseball. Like I said, nothing can happen fast. It has to really be methodical. So it really is one small building block at a time that gets you, gets you over the hump. And I think this team showed that. I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't make up 15 games in the standings in one day. You can't score six runs with one swing. You have to really do things. You have to nibble away at it. And it's maddening and it really tests patience. But, I mean, this team showed that if you weather that and if you were able to withstand it, then you can get to the mountaintop eventually. And then – uh, the playoff run is just why I love this team so much is that they overcame the Dodgers and, and, and the Astros. I mean, two teams that all year, besides the Yankees, people are saying are at another level. I mean, they're at the Clemson, LSU, Ohio State level of playing. So that's what was so exciting to see. It's like almost Oklahoma beating LSU. That's what, what's but but people forget about that wild card game against the Brewers. I mean, to, 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 be, to be down two runs to Josh Hader, the best reliever in the game, and be able to somehow get a win in that, that was, that game was like the, the spark to the team there to, to win that yeah and the Brewers are a lefty lefty matchup with the bases loaded Juan Soto and Josh Hader and you kind of think that um you know you, you're good there that's the matchup you want that's the kind of situation you want to be in but you know it, when you think about it I mean the Nationals over the years you mentioned all those years they made the playoffs 2014 you know 2012 2016 2017 every time every time there was a bounce every time there was a moment where you know it could go one of two ways it seemed to go the other way you know it was P. Cosma hitting a single off in 2012 it was that crazy inning against the Cubs in 16 when Max Scherzer came in and relieved, and it just seemed like the entire world went crazy. And and I think, you know, the ball hits a divot in the outfield wherever it hit, and there's some cosmic baseball gods thing happening. But, you know, Trent Grisham overruns the ball. It goes to the outfield. It scored three runs to two on the same single, and it kind of felt like, you know, talking guys now and catching up with them in the offseason, that was their moment to say, wow, maybe this is our year. Maybe maybe we're not the team now that's just destined to have every, every single bounce you know, go against us. Maybe we actually can be the one that gets a little bit of luck. And I think, again, I mean, that it's corny and it's cliche and it kind of sounds like coach speak, but the idea of not just assuming you're going to lose in October, which for many years, it's just if you were a D.C. team, you lost in October. You lost in the playoffs. I mean, but, um, you know, that team actually started to believe because, you know, they get that one bounce and then from there it's just, you know, it's like wildfire. Everything just everything starts going their way. 
But then to go against the Dodgers, I spent so much time in L.A. This and and you're going to games, and it's like they were almost destined. They felt like you know they had this 21 point game lead almost the since June. They're rolling along. They have Bueller. They have Kershaw. They have two level two. They have a position player at every position that could that could start anywhere. And and then they're going against the Nats, and and then they take that lead, and then the Nats. I, I thought the key game was in uh, in game. I guess it was four or three when Ryan Zimmerman had that over games four that huge three run home run to sort of say even though we're down 2-1 we're still going to come back and and talk about Ryan Zimmerman someone who's been there from the beginning and and, and the role he played on this team in terms of uh, uh, for them to win the, the World Series yeah I mean I think you know first off like when you talk about those teams like the Dodgers and the Astros I mean, they're kind of it's hard to make super teams in baseball there's so many spots um, it's all basketball where if you add two guys, you kind of you can have this quote unquote super team. But you know that's what those were. I mean, those were you know the Astros were the best team in the regular season, then add Zach Greinke at the trade deadline. The Dodgers were, you know, for all intents and purposes, a super team. You know, you said up and down their order is just so good. So the Nationals, I think, what you do in that situation is kind of put a little doubt in their head. They're supposed to win. They're supposed to dominate you. If you kind of flip that a little bit and say, hey, maybe. Maybe we're going to like push them a little bit. Maybe we're going to make them think that there's a chance they're going to lose this. You can kind of flip the table and flip the pressure. And you mentioned that game four when the guy like Zim comes up. I mean, he was first first draft pick in, in the organization's history. He, uh, you know, he's obviously been around for every bump of the road and every triumph and failure. And to see him in moments like that, I mean, he, he not only hits that home run, he also hits the first home run of the World Series. So the first draft pick ends up scoring the first run of the World Series for a franchise is pretty cool. So. Just a lot of cool moments along the way, man. It's just pretty magical. And then, and then, like even the game five against the Dodgers, when you're bringing when they're starting with Walker Bueller, their superstar, they bring Kershaw on relief. You guys have Strasburg in, and Cor- Corbin's going to come into the game. Just the use of the starting pitchers and how that happens, and then have it's great to see. I mean, sometimes the, the, when you see the superstars like Soto and Rendon hit those home runs against Kershaw, superstar versus superstar. I mean, that was just tremendous in Chavez Ravine in Dodger Stadium. What a, that was just. I mean, you went right at the Dodgers and won the game against their strength yeah i mean i think it's it's, it's kind of when the game's at its best like our best guy versus your best guy and let's see who wins and um, obviously we saw how that went in that case for the nats and dodgers but that's that's when the game's at its most fun i think it was just good for the sport to have those kind of moments obviously good for the nationals because it went their way Right, and then we don't, we don't want to gloss over the Cardinals series, but you easily won that uh, in four games. And then to get to the World Series, it's I've been saying during this whole time, I mean, I, I'm, we're down here in West Palm Beach, we see you guys, we see the Nats versus the Astros every day, and the Cardinals, the way they are all playing there. And I think that familiarity uh, really, really helped the Nationals. I mean, you heard sometimes what Soto is saying about Cole. It's like, I got to hit against him a lot during spring training, so I was more comfortable. And people said, well, that was months and months ago. But I do think that familiarity did help uh, the Nationals be able to go against this, quote, super team in the Astros. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't buy that too much because it, it, then it would work both ways. So I think, you know, in some ways that familiarity could be neutralizing. I think I think if a guy like Soto individually maybe picked up something and said, uh, down in West Palm or you know, during spring training, and maybe it did help him. But from a team-wide perspective, I don't know if that would shift the uh, pendulum one way or the other. Because, you know, if you think about it, both teams can see each other at the same amount. Right. But then, so he gets to the World Series, and, and that first game, I mean, when Cole hasn't lost, the Dashers didn't lose a game since July 12th. Um, they had won 171 games, had the best record in years at, at home, and to actually win that first game and then and then to, to beat Verlander in game two, just what, I mean, that's unheard of. And, that, and I was there for the Nats on games three, four, when they came back and they were like, this is, we actually could do this. I mean, I think that belief is like we just beat the big bad Astros at home. really impressive games. I mean, like I said, you kind of put it in the back of their heads that maybe this is going to shift differently than they expected, and then I think that's when you kind of become like a ball rolling down the hill a bit, and you kind of get that momentum, and then that's, that's when things start to turn. But then they come back to Washington, and then they lose three games at home. They get totally blown out. And by game five, it was, I mean, I was there. I mean, most of the fans had left. It was not, it was like one of those things that I felt like, you know, you felt like, okay, they, that was the fight. You call the, the game the fight to the finish. We're fighting. It was almost like the fight was out of them. And, uh, but then, and even, I just think that was what, I mean, for that, for a team to be, to lose three at home and then go back to the Astros and win those final two, just to, and even be down in both those games, 
that just shows you the grit that you, you know, in your, in your book, the fight to the finish, you're talking about they just never gave up until the game seven. Yeah, yeah, they, they lost three at home and uh, were down three, two. And I think that, like at that point of the year, they've been pretty tested by, you know, their schedule and the circumstances they've been in for a while. It's about having to kind of be in quote unquote win now mode since mid May because you're so down in the standings that I think. You're kind of conditioned to play in that way, and that, that can help. Instead of just, you know, coasting along, you have the trying season from start to finish, and then that, that shows up late when you obviously end up end up getting past the Astros there. And talk about for a second about about the future, I guess, of the Nationals and Juan Soto. I mean, the 20-year-old who who had that series, and, and I'm sure you've had a lot of opportunity to talk to him, but how someone at his age was able to stay with these, I mean, he played an entire month of pressure baseball. And and what was his his mindset to be able to just have big hit after big hit? Yeah, I mean, I think the extra time with him is probably easier than most guys. Uh, think about kind of miles on your car, it's, um, or a guy like Howie Kendrick, or Ryan Zimmerman or even Max Scherzer or some of the pitchers, they're probably the ones who had trouble with that extra month. I think Juan at 20 probably is prime more than anybody to play extra extra time. But um, obviously a bright future. He's, you know, in terms of contract and stuff, he's under team control for a while now, so that's not to worry about that for a bit. So um, that, that's working in their favor that he's not coming up on any kind of free agent year because he's certainly being sought after by every team in the league. He's just such a transcendent talent. Um, but, but yeah, in terms of extra playing, I think he was, he was probably pretty fresh and um, he just, you know, let alone just um, pure, pure miles on his on his body, not much as other guys. So he's he's pretty good for that. We're talking to Jesse Doherty, who I wrote, a writer for the Washington Post, who has a book, Fight to the Finish. It's available in stores and online. And we know we have a lot of Nats fans down here getting ready for spring training in, a, in two months. But just one more question. Uh, they, Nats had some, some tough decisions to make this offseason in terms of do they keep Strasburg, do they keep Rendon? They were able to sign Strasburg, but Rendon was able to go to the uh, LA Angels. Talk about maybe the thinking when you were, you know, hearing from the the brass, the front office, why they made that decision of Strasburg over Rendon. Yeah, I mean, this, this team's identity has always been in starting pitching. I think, uh, you know, you invest ninety-five million dollars last year for your rotation, and you don't win the World Series without either of those guys. I mean, that's that's the fact of the matter. But um, the, they weren't willing to pay market value for both to keep them on the team, uh, keep them on the same payroll, and that would obviously have been a really high number. Um, combined for both guys so i think when you when you ended up having to make the decision and like you said it was a tough one um you side with the fact of like what your identity and the core of the identity is starting pitching and i think that's um that's how they wanted it to remain so um that's that's the direction they went in Wow. Well, Jesse, thanks so much for coming on. I, 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 your yep. book is the book is tremendous. There's great pictures. I love the pictures, and and that was anything. And and I guess the one can I, I want to finish with just one question is the one thing I saw from this team is it really brought the town together. I mean, it's like there's you always hear about Republicans, Democrats, and this and this, but it seemed like when you know, I went I went to all three games. I went to like five of the playoff games, three of the World Series games. It really was a, a team. When you say I know it sounds cliche, but it did bring that town together in terms of everybody supporting the Nationals. And I, I thought from that aspect alone, this team will always be remembered for that. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think there's still obviously a lot of dissonance here politically. Um, I don't know if the team solved that necessarily, but, um, you know, it was the rallying point. I think anytime you have a team going to run and, and uh, make a big push in the playoffs, it can get really exciting. And um, we did see that for sure, as you mentioned. So um, definitely, definitely a cool moment for this town. And, uh, and, and you kind of You'll see how if they can ride the wave, they can sort of turn it into a new generation of fans, maybe grip some people that maybe weren't on board before, and um, we'll see that. I think the, the fruits of that will not be quite yet, but in the coming years, um, in the next generation, and the kids that grow up, um, they're growing up now and watch that run unfold, and now we'll bring their kids to the park um, You know, when they, when they end up having families. I think you hope that there's sort of a, if you're the Nationals, you hope there's sort of a generational effect where this spirals forward. And, and really can grip a fan base for, for not just one year or two years, but for generations to come. And I think that's when we'll really know sort of the, the full effect of, of something like this. Well, again, thank you so much, Jesse, for coming on Iron Sports. I appreciate it. The book is Fight to the Finish on the Washington Post Press, but it's available online everywhere. I, I strongly suggest anyone buy it. If you're a Nats fan, baseball fan, it's a really good book to read and with great pictures. So thanks again for coming on Iron Sports. Yep, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. 7.47. It's Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. <clears throat> so we talked about football just briefly before we got to Jesse, but let's keep going on it. Um, I, I've been so um, 
negative on the Packers this entire season, and I still kind of am, even though they clinched the bye yesterday. You should, you're supposed to beat the Lions worse in this game in a game you needed. Regardless, they're staying home next week. Well, they were able, by winning that game, getting the number two seed. Yeah. So they were going to buy. They played. They were down 14 nothing to David Blau. Yep. Blau. Blau, sorry, David Blau. Um, and Rodgers was terrible, two for 11 for 26 yards. Barely won the game, looked terrible, but now they're in there. I mean, again, all these teams in the NFC, they all have a chance, except the Eagles. I don't think of a chance. But the fact is they needed to win that game. to get. They were able to pull the game. They played terrible and won, whereas New England played terrible and lost. No, Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it, obviously the Saints were sitting there hoping that they'd lose that game so they could, um, they could jump in and get that second seed. But looking at Drew Brees last year down the stretch and how he just kind of didn't seem himself – this year, Ira, he gets better every single week. If I'm a team in the NFC, I'm petrified of seeing the Saints. Well, I think the comment that Bruce Bree says is, look, we didn't get the bye because if they would have, if they had a chance, they could have a chance to get the number one seed. Yeah. But they ended up being number three, even though they're with a 13-3 and three record. But the problem, but he said, I'd rather be playing well than getting the bye. I'd rather be at what we're doing. Because, I mean, they blew out the Panthers 42-10, by 35-3 by at halftime. So they really almost had a bye game because they didn't play. They sat out the whole second half anyway. But it was a tremendous win for them. They look like they're rolling. And uh, I think they're set. Yeah, I, I think they're totally set for next week. Cowboys and Redskins was the other one. Where's this Cowboys team been? We've seen the Redskins lately. Teams are struggling against them a little bit. They, they're still winning, but the Redskins have been uh, definitely better than 47-16. to 16. Cowboys look pretty good. Well, Cowboys look great, but they were watching the Eagles game. So it was yeah. great because I had all four games at the late games at the same time. And the Cowboys blowing out the Redskins, destroying it. But at the same time, the Eagles were struggling with the Giants. But we're able to hang out there and then just and buy and run away with that game 34 17. So the, the Cowboys, because they lost the week before, they don't get in the playoffs. They don't miss the play. It's just a mess for them. And finishing eight and eight wasn't good enough. Uh, you got to give the Eagles credit. I mean, they they had they were their running backs were Boston Scott, Josh Perkins, Greg Ward, Deontay Burnett, Robert Davis. Five of the, those five players were cut eight times. Cut. They were cut eight times by four teams since August 31st. It was to, to, to piece this together, to win this division, to go 9-7. and seven, uh, Tremendous job. Carson Wentz was able to hang in there in that game. Certainly they play in a division that's terrible, and yeah. they had some easy wins. But uh, they were able to hang in there and win that. And, and you're watching the scene of Jerry Jones watching the Eagles game and his game at the same yeah. time. And when the Eagles took that one, that when they when the Giants fumbled the ball, the mm -hmm. Eagles were able Danny to Danny Dimes, Danny oh, Fumbles. And he fumbles right in there. And it just that when he swung around in that chair, like you could just... The wind count, came out of the sails. Yeah, it was just like unbelievable to see that go down. You, and, want, you want to hear a stat about Wentz? Yes. 4,000 yards this season. No wide receiver on the roster had 500 yards. Amazing. That it's just—it's obviously never happened before. And will Ertz had almost a thousand, but no wide receiver had 500 yards. Just crazy. You want to talk about Seattle and the Niners because this was a, one of the best games I saw all season. All season, and it was one of those games where in the first half everyone was exciting. The Seahawks brought in Marshawn Lynch to be their running back. He had been playing there for three years. Yeah. Hasn't played last year, and uh, and suddenly he's now playing because they have so many injuries. They're down 13 nothing. San Francisco is blowing this game out 224 to 79 in total yards, and then Seahawks went on his fourth and one. And the whole issue with the Super Bowl does he not give the ball on fourth and one? Well, he got stopped on fourth yeah. and one and didn't get it. And you're like. Well, let's see. But the Seahawks, they just never give up. They hang yeah. in there and they come in and they are driving and driving and they come down. And San Francisco, they had a chance. They had a bad. I thought that it was an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that they got when they had in the fourth quarter. And they were up 26 21. Then they threw it like an 18 yard pass. They had third and 19 mm -hmm. to go. I think if they wasn't unsportsmanlike conduct, they could have ran that clock out. But instead, they have to punt to Seattle. So Seattle has the ball 26 21. Russell Wilson, a quarterback. You're thinking he's going to score. How fast he's going to score? Is he going to give as Jimmy G any time left? They're only down five points. Uh, but he, they were, they missed some passes. I mean, he, he misses DK Metcalf, Hollister, Metcalf. They got down on fourth and ten on the twelve. They threw it to the two yard line, so they get the first down, and then they down it. But then they get the then there was whole issues like of uh, uh, delay of game substitutions. Yeah, Substitution, didn't get, get done. Delay of game. So instead of being second and one, it was second <laughs> yeah. and six, and then they throw it in the end zone again. And then there wasn't there was a pass interference there. I felt was clear on Hollister. Yep. It was a terrible call. They never called that. 
that pass interference, uh, but he wasn't. But they were unable to get on fourth down, and then they they finally on fourth and to, you know a goal got it to the one foot line, and then there was an issue. Did he score? Did he not roll in? And they they said no, and that was that was key because then San Francisco went from being to be the number one seed with a bye. If they would have lost the game. They would have been a five seed playing next week at Seattle. So at, at Philadelphia. So what a key time. And then and then New Orleans lost a chance to get a bye. And everything from that last inch of whether they would have rolled in for the end zone mattered so much. It, it really did. It, it made the, the day great because there were so many games we didn't even talk about because it didn't mean anything. So the ones that did really did. Ira, Seattle going to Philly. Philly gets a home game here. Philly's getting a point and a half. I think they should be like four and a half points. Right. But so yeah, you're in you're in with me on Seattle. Totally. I think Seattle, this is Philadelphia has just been on fumes. There are this is there's no way they win this game. I mean none. I, I just can't see Seattle no. losing this game. Can't no. And not with Russell Wilson without I mean Philadelphia's playing with JV football players in a game at this magnitude. I don't care the link. I don't care about the Philadelphia fans. <laughs> I don't care about anything. Seattle's gonna win this game. So and Seattle's been playing better on the road than at home. That's anyway. very true. And they kill it on the eastern time uh, eastern time zone. Um, Minnesota and New Orleans. They met up in the playoffs last year, and this was uh this was a good game game seven and a half points Minnesota gets I think that's a little much I think Minnesota is better than they're giving them credit for but I got to take New Orleans I think I think New Orleans is rolling I think they're going to win this by two touchdowns so I really? really I like them both to win this game if that if that holds then uh then Seattle would go to San Francisco and New Orleans would go at Green Bay so Breeze and Aaron Rodgers I mean that'd be very <laughs> exciting for the next round of games but uh San Francisco and Green Bay get that week off at key for Huge. both those teams both San Francisco these, especially with I think. all the injuries San Francisco has had and also giving Aaron Rodgers that one week and yep. also Aaron Rodgers with it in the cold everything this is this is a make or break playoff for Aaron Rodgers yeah, Aaron Rodgers on the road he would have been going to um uh, no he would have been going to Se Seattle I guess or I don't yeah, know how to, right? yeah it's, they would have been going there so um yeah it, it's definitely different he wants that home game so here's the stat for you I the Patriots for Bill for the Belichick and Brady era from December on versus the entire league has an 87 percent win percentage except the Dolphins, 50% from December on against the Dolphins. And what do we see yesterday? The One of the most, the craziest blowouts that I've seen, and it just seems like the Dolphins are always in a position to do this to the Patriots. I was sitting at uh, a bar listen, watching all the games, and uh, the guy next to me kept screaming, Fitz Magic, Fitz Magic. I, mean, <laughs> I just am dreaming Fitz Magic in my sleep right now. I mean, it was just every time Fitz Magic had the ball. I can't even call him Fitz Patrick. It's called Fitz it's Magic. I mean, I think the problem, they have this, the Patriots have the same problem that the Packers did, is they got off to a slow start, they're down 10-0, Brady threw a pick six, and then they fought back into the game, but unlike the Packers, they weren't able to hold on and win, and and that was a crucial, just to lose at home, to lose, and it was so bad, because they are 3-3 three and three without a bye, they're 27-7 and seven in the playoffs with a bye. I mean, they haven't, they've had a bye in the playoffs since 2009. Yeah. So this is just a total yeah, mess. Yeah, 10 straight buys. 10 straight buys. Um, they went down and scored. you got to give them credit. Finally, their offense came down, and Brady had a nice drive to, to score 24-20. But their defense, not to be able to hold the, the Dolphins, I mean, that would, again, the, it seems like everything is falling apart for the Patriots. Their offense is really not uh, humming, and now their defense now isn't playing that great. They started the year out 12-0. They're 4-4, four and four, and uh, you got to give Fitzpatrick credit to Mike Kosicki, who's been much maligned from Penn State. Yeah, your buddy from Penn State. And he comes and he makes a touchdown play like that. I mean, when they scored, like, I was waiting for interception there, but for to score a touchdown like that and then leave, they give the uh, Patriots uh, 30 seconds left to try to a field goal and not it's just shocking I, I think the more of the knock on the Jacecki was that I think he was the second round pick and then they drafted another tight end in the fourth and it's like wait what are you guys doing here so that, that was uh, I think a little bit of a, a detractor there but hopefully his career is heading up from here talked about the Saints and how this is just a team that's rolling right now I'd be pretty scared as well if I had to face the Kansas City Chiefs well, again, they, the Chargers put up a fight, and I knew they were because Philip Rivers didn't know this could be his last game. And San Diego is good, and they just had a bad year, and they, things went wrong for them. But they hung into the game, and, and Mahomes didn't. I mean, he threw for like 174 yards and a touchdown and interception. Didn't have a great game, but Damian Williams had a huge. I mean, when you're playing Kansas City, these big plays you just cannot have. Two Hartman returns a kickoff for 100 yards. You and Damian Williams had like an 80-yard touchdown run. So you can't give up those two huge plays in the middle of the game.
and uh, the Chargers are two and nine in games when it's by eight points or less. They were unable for the last mm-hmm. two years now to win these close games, and just uh, just a bad bad loss for for the for the Chargers in terms of their final. This could have been Rivers' last game, but for the Chiefs, their defense is playing great. Their offense, you know what their offense can do, and now they got the bye, so they're excited. I mean, they were they really wanted this one bye, so that helps them for the bye. And now the Patriots have to play, and the Chiefs are have off, and of course the Ravens were already set with an off game. Houston um, kind of took their bye this week, sat pretty much everybody, let their division opponent into the playoffs, which I don't know if I go that route, but they did. But Derrick Henry is just like last season, end of the year, he starts rolling harder and harder. Um, Tennessee wins this game, and I think they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. This was a this was a bad break for the Steelers because what happens is that Kansas City yeah. by winning let Houston know that Kansas City was going not to be, that Houston had no shot. Couldn't move up or down. Couldn't move up or down. So when they saw what happened in New England, that so Houston, when the day started, but they, they were trying to play the games at the same time, so it would have been an issue. But when they saw, when Kansas City, even and even Bill O'Brien for, te, for Houston said, look, I saw what was happening with Kansas City. When I saw what this Kansas City score was, they're in the second game. They're like, we knew we're stuck with the uh, fourth uh, playoff spot. Mm-hmm. So they rested everybody. They rested Deshaun Watson, Will Fuller, DeAndre Hopkins, Kenny Stills, Tunstall. They started McCarron. I mean, the fact that they even were close in the game was surprising. And But Tennessee did what they had to do. I mean, Ryan Tannehill played, again, another good game. 198 yards, two touchdowns. Like, it's nice to see how well. I mean, you, these quarterbacks, they you feel like they're done. They get traded. They go to another team. He is he has totally resurrected his career. He is clearly the starter there. Oh, He's the starter a of a playoff team. And, and Derrick Henry, 212 yards rushing. They sat him out the week before. And now they're getting this emerging wide receiver, A.J. Brown. First Titan rookie ever with 1,000 receiving yards. Oh, and a big play after big play. Uh, just a just a big win, and then I'm watching this because you know I'm at a bar, and they wouldn't. There was tons of Steeler fans there, and they wouldn't put the Tennessee Houston game on. I'm like, the Steeler game doesn't matter. It's the ten- <laughs> Houston, ten- Steelers could win out 200 to nothing, but if Tennessee won, <laughs> right? You need to put both games on. It was like impossible for me to get. I was so frustrated by the fact that both games were terrible, and then you're watching both games, and it was even worse. <laughs> that on top of Fitz Magic, it was a rough <laughs> Sunday for Ira. You want to talk about that Baltimore Pittsburgh game? So this is what, so this, as a Steeler fan, it was 12 games this year out of 16. I'm the biggest fan in the world. Uh, the, it's scary the fact that Joe Burrow is going to go to the Bengals. It's yeah, that's a good point. It's also scary that the Ravens just beat the Steelers with their fifth string. I mean, there was no, yep. you talk about these other teams, they played nobody. They played nobody, and the Steelers were a complete and utter disaster. They were, it was just horrendous. I mean, the halftime stats, they only had, the Steelers had 99 yards in the half, first half. Duck Hodges went, I think, nine for 30 passing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a disaster. And then even it just got bad because they fumbled the ball. There was a point where they went and they tried to punt the ball. It went in the end zone. that was fumbled. Then there was a safety. It just, the whole ending, it was 28-10. I mean, there's a point when it's 16-10 in the game. You're like, the Steelers could still maybe win this. And, and maybe Tennessee can come, can blow the lead in Houston. And there was like hope. And then it was just a disaster, and it was just horrendous. It was absolutely a terrible. I mean, as a Hodges nine for 25, 95 yards, and two sacks. I mean, it's like high school numbers. The Steelers had ten first downs the entire game, and just the fumbling and the just the whole year. And mm-hmm. then, and they finished. And as a Steeler fan, I know they play tough, but to lose the final three games, they lost to the Bills, they lost to the Jets. You just want to get a chance to get into the playoffs. And now this is two years in a row. The Steelers have just missed the playoff by one game. Jets. Pu- put out two perennial powerhouses in the Cowboys and the, and the Steelers, like two of the biggest franchises. That one loss changed everything for both of them. Um, Tennessee in New England. I already said my opinion. I think Tennessee's winning this game. Four and a half point underdogs. I don't know why the line's like that. What do you think? I, well, <laughs> I'm re- I like Brady, and I like the, I suppose the Steelers are out. I, I'm going to root for New England. I think that I still think they could somehow get by this game. It's going to be 8-15 on Saturday night. Um, but I still think they're going to get by. Hope somehow I'm gonna, they're going to figure some way out. I'm taking the road dog in the second game too, Ira. I'm taking Buffalo over Houston. I, I, that one, they're, look, they're both 10 and 6. Buffalo, Houston's giving three points to Buffalo. I really like this Buffalo Bills team. Me too. I think they're next year they're probably going to win this division when the Patriots totally collapse completely. The Bills are very good. I really like Buffalo. I, I like Buffalo a lot in this game. Um, and, and they're... They're a team that potentially, you see how these teams, how these breaks out in terms of who's going to have the worst. What happens is Baltimore will play the team with the worst.
worst the worst seed. Yeah, they reseed. They reseed. So you want to know if I'm Buffalo though, and I have a chance. Like I like Buffalo's chances of both Kansas City and Baltimore. That's how that's, I think Buffalo. This could be, uh, but at least they're going to beat Houston. They're not losing this game. I I agree with you. So we agree. Oh, we, we agree on that one, not the first one. Um, real quick in football, I guess. Weird season, but also just some monumental single performances. Michael Thomas breaking Marvin Harrison's record. He had arguably the best wide receiving season ever. Christian McCaffrey running the ball, absolutely ridiculous. And then Lamar Jackson just came out of nowhere. So in in, in a weird season with a lot of players that are typically great, Odell Beckham, DeAndre Hopkins having down years, you had these couple of players just really emerge. Right. I mean, that's what that's why people play fantasy football because yeah. they like to pick these players. I mean, someone drafted Lamar Jackson at the like end of the draft and seeing what he played last year, and then now you probably if you drafted Lamar Jackson as your quarterback, you probably have won your fantasy league. If you yeah. have Michael Thomas to or McCaffrey and McCaffrey, you have a situation where you almost could have all three of them. Where where depending on how many teams you have, you could have totally had McCaffrey. I'm sure somebody had McCaffrey and Thomas yeah. and Jackson on their team and easily and just didn't even think about uh, fantasy all year. You easily won. Real quick, NBA. I. Um, all I'm going to say is we're going to talk, start talking about the NBA and coming up, but the fact is the Miami Heat are playing really well. I love it. And they are... I'm all in on this Heat team. <laughs> they, are, they had a humongous win against Philadelphia. Humongous. I mean, we had... They didn't play on Christmas. I guarantee you next Christmas Miami's playing. They're playing and going to play a home game next Christmas. They won five in a row, beating Utah, Indiana, and Philadelphia. They have no Justin's Winslow, no James Johnson, no Deion Waiters, none of their big money, but they are playing hard. They're playing well. And, uh, and, and it was interesting on, on Christmas, the big game, the Clippers and the Lakers, and I was rooting for the Lakers and, and LeBron. And in the fourth quarter, Kawhi Leonard, who I cannot stand the load management. <laughs> I've talked about load management. I'm like saying if Santa was load management, the kids would not be getting presents every <laughs> I'm going to skip years. the Midwest this year. So, yeah, there's something. <laughs> I just thought that was, and and I just, just a t- but it was, like, I watched, I was six, so I watched all the games, and then I watched the Milwaukee-Philly game, and, and I couldn't believe Philadelphia shut down Milwaukee. And then they, but you know Philadelphia's like that. Philadelphia has that one big game, and then when they beat Milwaukee, and then they, then they lose two other games. But uh, uh, I just, from, from the Heat perspective, I love to get, we're going to get to hopefully somebody on talking about the Heat and this team and how Jimmy Butler has just, they, they finally have, and, and you have you have two teams, the Mavericks for Dallas with Rick Carlisle, a coach, mm-hmm. and the Heat. And they keep saying in the, in the NBA, it's the players, not the coaches, it's the players, not the coaches. Clearly, Spolstra has a team that he really can win with, and Carlisle has a team with Luka Doncic and Christoph Basingas, a team that he can win. And you're seeing these two elite coaches coach these teams, and they're both uh, overperforming. Miami is second in the East, and Dallas is fourth in, in the West. Um, Ira, you said you quietest week in years, so I think you're going to go crazy this week. I have to go crazy. But I, I'm going to see Alabama. I'll go to the Alabama-Michigan game on Wednesday. I'll probably go down to the Orange Bowl just now. I like to catch a Heat game, and I might go to an NFL playoff game this weekend. So there's a lot to go see. But uh, I'm glad we had Jesse Jordy on talking about the Nationals because it's going to be exciting to have spring training because when you're going to have the national, ch- you know, the world champions here uh, for spring training against with St. Louis and Houston, and it's uh, this is a great place to, to watch baseball in the spring. And we have a Heat team that might be a, t- a contender in the Eastern Conference. (laughs) I want to thank Jesse so much for coming by. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on Sports.